HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. In light of the novel coronavirus pandemic, Food Without Borders is airing At the Table, a special interview series with journalists, chefs, farmers, activists, and business owners navigating the impact of COVID-19 on the food and beverage industry. This series was originally recorded for MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. If you'd like to watch the online video version of these interviews, please visit www.mofad.org backslash online video series. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, everyone. It's Sari, the Public Programs Manager at MOFAD. Thank you so much for tuning in to At the Table, our online video series about the impact of COVID-19 on the food and beverage industry. Um, so today I'm speaking with Karina Kaufman Gutierrez. She is the Deputy Director of the Street Vendor Project. Hi, Karina. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us today. Yeah, of course. Um, so why don't you just kind of kick it off by telling us what Street Vendor Project is and what you do with them? Sure. Um, 
And so the Street Vendor Project, we are a um, nonprofit, part of the Urban Justice Center. Um, we are a membership-based organization that works to defend the rights and improve the working conditions of the approximately 20,000 people who sell food and merchandise on streets of New York City. Um, and so in our day-to-day -day work, we are striving to expand street vending as a viable and lawful employment option for um, folks who are immigrants and other entrepreneurs um, operating these micro-businesses. And then also to increase public appreciation of how central street vending is to our city's culture and economy. Um, so I think it goes without saying that the street vendors in New York City are facing just an unimaginable amount of hardship right now um, with you know everything that's going on with this, the country being shut down and also the fact that you know they're almost probably all immigrants and a lot of them are undocumented. Um, can you just talk a little bit specifically about you know what's what's been going on from where you sit? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in terms of our membership of, of folks across New York City, about 90% of street vendors are low-wage immigrant workers, um, and they rely on busy streets to survive. And so as the stay-at-home order, and rightfully so, is, is you know, encouraging and mandating people to stay home, this unfortunately leaves people who rely on the day-to-day -day income to support themselves and their families without support um, and without income. And so, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of folks that we work with, the majority of folks that we work with are, as small business owners and as undocumented immigrants are ineligible for any of the benefits that have been released, either at the city, state, or federal level. Um, at the city level, there are some small business loans and grants available, but for street vendors who are their sole proprietors um, or operating cash-based businesses, unfortunately, they a lot of folks don't have the um, like the the application process is really burdensome for people who are operating on the day to day. Um, and then in terms of federal stimulus checks, if you don't have a social security number, you are ineligible. And that, that is a direct attack on immigrant communities and it's a direct attack on the majority of street vendors who are out and providing for our city. Um, I mean, to be clear, how, like, what is the percentage, I guess, of um, street vendors who are still operating, who are still working? Yeah, so during the, the first week um, of, of when the pandemic kind of was beginning in March, most folks were continuing to work. They were taking precautions, um, wearing masks and wearing gloves, um, being the only ones to, to handle food and merchandise. Um, but they were, they were reporting that their sales were down about 90%. Um, so there's one woman that we work with, for example, her name is Gregoria. She sells um, tamales in Corona Plaza. And she was saying she'd been out for a full six hours and had made $7. And that has been the experience of most people as our streets are clearing out, most people are if they're continuing to work, have seen that their sales have gone down so much that it doesn't even make sense to continue working. Um, for others, this is they have to because they're not they're not receiving access to benefits in any other way. Um, 
so the numbers they're going down constantly because it's also it's a question of people's you know safety a lot of vendors are the sole caretakers of their families um and so as with other essential workers who are out who are you know grocery store workers transit workers it's not just about their safety it's about what they might be bringing home um to to their families um i guess two questions about that the ones that are still out there operating how have they adapted um what kind of safety precautions have they you know taken incorporated into their business practices and um are some of them choosing to isolate from their families because they are you know so to speak on the front lines yeah so um vendors are considered essential retail under um under the governor's pause orders so they can continue legally working um but in order to you know be ensuring their safety as well as the safety of their communities and their clientele folks are wearing masks wearing gloves um sanitizing their gloves constantly throughout the day or switching gloves um folks are they've adapted so that in order for there to be 6 feet of distance between people who are purchasing from them they're either posting like sharing their phone number so people can call ahead and just come and pick up or they're um putting up cones and tables so that are identifying how people who are purchasing can be separating or like creating that 6 feet of distance um and then i think the one other thing is especially for people who are buying fruits and vegetables from vendors you're so used to to touching things before you buy them same as in grocery stores and now um vendors are putting up cones and caution tape and being the only ones who touch um the fruits and vegetables and then packaging them for their customers yeah are there are there any specific neighborhoods um in in new york city where it seems like operators are having more success than in other areas Yeah, especially um we have we have folks who are in East Harlem, in the Bronx, um in East New York, in Corona and Jackson Heights where oftentimes these are areas where there's not easy access to grocery stores that could be otherwise considered food deserts and vendors are really essential in providing fresh fruits and vegetables to their neighborhoods. And so we're definitely seeing that that's where a lot of vendors are continuing to work. and adapting their practices. Have any of the vendors moved their location to try and, you know, relocate in a neighborhood that I don't know, they they might feel is is more trafficked or, you know, it has less grocery stores. Um has there been any strategy as far as that relocation might go? Not there there have been more people who are who are working as vendors now who are selling fruits and vegetables um in neighborhoods. We've seen more folks um along like Junction Boulevard in in Corona and Jackson Heights. Um we've actually been getting calls from people at Lafrac City asking if we can coordinate for vendors to come there. Uh I know you mentioned um there's a couple different campaigns that the street vendor project is is working on right now that would benefit workers um at a policy level can you can you speak to some of those initiatives yeah absolutely um i think so to speak just a little bit briefly like about the immediate needs mm-hmm. as an organization we are um working to coordinate meals um raise funds mutual aid funds for for folks in our immediate community who are not able otherwise to be accessing benefits 
So while we're managing some of the immediate, we are also advocating on a at the city and state level for policies that would change um, and affect the benefits that are reaching not just street vendors, but all all folks who are in the informal economy. Um, so day laborers, nail salon workers, other folks who otherwise are really not getting anything um, and have no systems of support. Um, so one of those, the first the first demand that we're we're strongly working on is for there to be cash assistance to all individuals and families, regardless of immigration status. Um, this, and, and within that, um, the deployment of resources, we're advocating for community-based organizations to be involved in how that happens, um, because we have direct relationships with, with families who are otherwise not, not connected to public resources, um, to ensure people are really able to access it and aware. Um, a second one that we're working on is ensuring that all incentives to small businesses include street vendors. Um, again, as, as we spoke about at the beginning, there's loans, grants, other legal protections, um, but it's often not available to cash economy workers or other informal workers. Um, and oftentimes the information is only shared in English or it has these extensive application requirements that you can only fill out online. Um, which for people who are not comfortable um, with online usage, this has proven to be a, a huge barrier. So we're advocating not just for the incentives to include street vendors, but for there also to be a hotline um, for people to be able to call and apply online um, and ensuring that the burden of proof of loss of income isn't falling on entrepreneurs. The third demand that we're advocating for is forgiveness of all outstanding fines that have been issued in 2020. Um, on street vendors because we're not we're seeing across the country parking fees um, late filing fees have been dismissed but nothing for street vendors or other small businesses that may have been fined um, over the last few months the fourth demand that we're working on um, is that we're calling for immediate suspension of street vendor violations um, that do not impact health and safety um, we're seeing still that the NYPD is violently targeting street vendors across the city, no matter their age. Um, you may, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but this past weekend there was a video um, that went viral of an NYPD officer who grabbed a young boy who was 10 years old, um, separated him from his mother, and this was because he was selling chips and candy. His family is, they don't have a home right now. They're in a shelter. This is how the only way that they're able to provide for themselves. Um, and this, this type of police violence is not an isolated incident. We have spoken to other vendors across the city who have been approached by police, have been fined for, um, for having their customers touch uh, fruit. And it's like, is this really where the focus is going? Really? This is criminalizing people who, who don't have the funds to support themselves otherwise. Um, I mean, can we unpack that for a little bit? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm, I've been in New York for, you know, over 20 years. I feel like street vendors, like in so many major cities are so integral to just the cultural fabric of what New York City is. Um, I don't know why there's so much animosity um, from the police towards street vendors. It just, it, it seems so... Um, there's such an aggressive targeting towards them. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's, 
you know, it's not just that they're immigrants, maybe, because, you know, there's lots of immigrants in New York City working in all different kinds of fields. Like, why do you think that street vendors um, are the target of so much harassment from the NYPD? I think um, a lot of it's about accessibility. Vendors are, their, their whole point of being accessible to communities, buying from them, um, makes them makes them visible, makes them on street corners um, working. And to be honest, I don't know why NYPD has constantly singled out vendors for their work, except for there's like the biggest, the biggest folks who are against street vendors are real estate often. And I think we see the power of real estate come into play and through how NYPD is enforcing vendors but then also about, again, the accessibility of vendors themselves. Um. Um, so, you know, the different uh, asks that you just outlined, do you feel, how optimistic do you feel? How realistic are these requests? I would say in terms of cash assistance for individuals and families, I do feel optimistic because we are seeing cities from Minneapolis to Los Angeles um, to Washington, D.C. take steps to create funds for excluded workers. Um, and I'm optimistic that New York City or New York State, with appropriate pressure, will make a movement on this. Um, in terms of incentives to small businesses to include street vendors, this... I'm, I think at the, again, at the city level, we have more power. Um, I don't, I don't feel optimistic that at the federal level, this is going to change. Um, it's the compounded, not understanding um, how street vendors work, never including street vendors as small businesses. Um, and then also not caring for immigrant communities. Um, and that's compounded with street vendors. In terms of immediate suspension of enforcement for street vendor violations, we have organized with eight city council members to call on the mayor to immediately halt and suspend um, NYPD enforcement. So um, I, this has been a battle that we're fighting constantly. This is, NYPD should never have any place, not just now in the pandemic, but ever in regulating people for selling food and merchandise. Um, and so I'm, I'm potentially optimistic that at least during the pandemic, we can get something. Um, if, we're, if we're giving, like not charging people parking fines, how dare the city be charging um, or levying fines on street vendors? And so I'm optimistic and I'm hoping that you know, with all of these demands that we're making now in the media, that they are paving the way for long-term change. I think we're also at a moment and an opportunity where people are seeing the injustices that exist in our society in a, in a very crystal clear way that maybe they haven't seen before. Um, and this is an opportunity to be advocating for short-term and long-term change. Um, and so far, you haven't received any answers from the mayor's office? Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there just needs to be more noise about it. You know, it's just like making that comparison to the parking thing. It's like, well, you know, a 
thousands and thousands of New Yorkers started screaming because it, you know, impacted them personally. And I think a lot of people have trouble, um, you know, understanding why they should get involved if it doesn't impact their own lives. Um, so we just have to figure out a way to rally around, you know, all of the street vendors and make noise um, to the point where, you know, the mayor can't ignore it anymore. Um, and I guess on that note, the question is, 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 is how do we get involved? Like, what are the best ways to support street vendors right now? Yeah, I think there's social media is playing an amazing role um, in responses to, to what's going on right now. Um, and I know the mayor has a tweet going around, hashtag AskMyMayor. If people can be tweeting, AskMyMayor, what are you doing to support street vendors and highlighting um, that vendors aren't, aren't included in any sort of benefit right now. I think that's one direct way that people can be influencing um, and creating that, that noise and that energy. Um, and then in terms of mutual aid, um, if folks are in the position to be sharing, or if they're salaried, if they're in the position to be sharing with other folks who, again, are, are excluded from other benefits, we do have a GoFundMe operating right now, and folks can access it at bit.ly slash fund. Um, and all proceeds from that will go directly to, to families. We're, we're looking to um, support at least 250 folks with $300 um, debit cards. Um, I saw that you guys created a link um, when stimulus checks aren't coming for New Yorkers if people want to donate theirs to, to workers, um, which is a, a wonderful idea. What's the, what's, what's the link and, and what's the idea around if you, if you don't necessarily need a stimulus check right now to donate it to a street vendor? Yeah, I think it's the, the idea around it is that this is, this is not charity. This is advocating for collective survival for all people who are excluded to be, to be able to be sharing um, in this as well. And so we are asking folks who are, who are salaried or in a position to donate um, to share their stimulus checks with organizations like Street Vendor Project or other organizations um, that work with undocumented folks across the city. Um, so New York State Youth Leadership Project, Laundry Workers Center, um, Unlocal Inc. These are all organizations that folks can donate directly to. Um, and so the, the link for it is bit.ly slash street vendor pledge. And so you can pledge it there as you wait to see your, your bank account go up. Um, then you can make the pledge and then donate directly. And we'll follow up with you about that. That's great. Um, what, what do you see, what do you think the future is going to look like for street vendors in New York City? How are things going to change? Is, is there going to be, you know, recovery? I'm sure it's going to impact a lot of people's lives in, in irreparable ways. Yeah, I think um, there have been some, I want to highlight maybe some good things that will come out of it um, to start with. So there, one amazing outcome of this has been the community among vendors that has formed because so often people are working such long hours, they're independent, they're essentially independent businesses, so they're not necessarily working with other folks. Um, it can be at times hard to be creating this community across the five boroughs, but in these times when people are at home and, and not working, there's 
more opportunities for folks to be engaging with each other. So we have active WhatsApp chats. Um, we have an active Facebook, closed Facebook group for vendors where people are sharing information and connecting with each other um, in a way that they may not have. And this is across languages. Um, it's folks are most comfortable in Arabic, Spanish, Mandarin, and Bangla. And so as an organization, we're translating messages from each other um, through virtually, and that has been exciting to see those connections be forming. Um, and another amazing long-term outcome that's been coming out of this is that we've really been seeing the restaurant industry supporting street vendors as part of the food ecosystem. So there's a number of restaurants, um, Egg, Gertie's, and Olmsted, as well as Lancaster Farm, who actually come together and are weekly preparing meals and groceries and delivering them to street vendors across New York City in their homes. And that has been a really beautiful connection. Um, and I think reinforces again, like the role that, the essential role that street vendors play in our food culture in New York City. Um, in terms of long-term impacts that are not positive, um, it, I, I think a lot of families are just, at this moment, they're struggling to put food on their table. They're struggling to be able to have any sort of, they don't have, they don't have savings because they work day to day at the moment. Like they don't have savings to be thinking about how they're even gonna pay rent on May 1st. People were struggling in April. How is May gonna work? Um, so we're actively involving people in um, the cancel rent campaign to ensure that folks do not have to pay rent. Um, and I think that's gonna be a big issue as people restart their businesses. You know, you have to invest in, in the, the, the ingredients and the products that you're selling and people don't have that capital. Um, to be doing that right now. Karina, how has your job changed and how has uh, Street Vendor Project as an organization changed since, since the city shut down? It's changed wildly. Um, a, lot of, a lot of our work um, is generally outside of this is um, advocacy, you know, so much street outreach. That's a huge, huge part is that we're going and meeting people where they're at and then holding in-person meetings um, at our offices at the Urban Justice Center. And so, so much of it is based on human-to-human -human connection, um, like in-person, that that has hugely, hugely changed. Um, and so we are all becoming virtual, I don't know, we're trying to become virtual experts. We're trying to figure out um, virtual simultaneous translation um, we are working heavily, we've always worked heavily in coalitions, but we're relying on our coalitions even more now so we can create policy that is immediately responding to the exclusions um, that we're seeing that are directly affecting our members. Um, so I think that, that rapidness in place of crisis um, unfortunately is something that's familiar to us at the Street Vendor Project. Um, because we're always operating from working with our, our, our community members are the most marginalized um, along with others in the city. But so we're always operating from a place of crisis.
this is a little bit more intense though because it's a virtual shift. Um, so tell us how we can follow along with Street Vendor Project um, virtually online, <laughs> help, share, retweet, yell, yell at the mayor, etc. Yes, so always um, you can do follow us on Twitter, um, Instagram, or Facebook. On Twitter, we are Vendor Power. And on Facebook and Instagram, it's Street Vendor Project. Um, and we're sharing ways um, and highlighting the stories of our members as well um, through our social media. And then if you can be um, tweeting at the mayor with the hashtag AskMyMayor and asking what he's doing to support street vendors, knowing that the answer right now is not much um, and perhaps suggesting ways as well that this can be advising him on how it can be changed. Yeah. And can you just give us the link for that GoFundMe page one more time? Yes. Our GoFundMe is bit.ly slash street vendor fund. Great. Um, Karina, thank you so much for speaking with me today. And um, on behalf of MOFAD, thank you to your whole organization and to all the street vendors out there. And we are certainly rooting for them. And, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to support you as much as we can. Thank you so much for having us today and for, for sharing in this dialogue. I really appreciate it. Of course. All right. Stay safe. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. This program is powered by Simplecast. 